Big Sky, Big Potential. In association with Mills and Reeve, this is Eastern Promise. Achieving more together. Welcome to episode 86 of the Eastern Promise podcast, our first of 2024. I'm Mike Rigby, and at Eastern Promise, we explore the full potential of the East of England. Peter Aldous is the Member of Parliament for Waveney, making him one of Suffolk's seven MPs. Peter also co-chairs the all-party group for the East of England, and he's a staunch advocate for the renewable energy sector that's driving regeneration on our region's coast. And on that subject, Eastern Promise drops in on Urban XR's Norwich Pop-Up Shop to find out how mixed reality could revive high street shopping. And finally, we find out about your exciting times ahead in the east of England. Let's hear all about the magic to come in 2024's first Crowd Sorcery. When you look at the renewable energy opportunities, all of a sudden, the Norfolk and Suffolk coastline, we're right in the vanguard, right at the front line. We have a hell of a lot to offer the UK, and actually, we can keep the lights on single-handed. That was Peter Aldous, Member of Parliament for Waveney, co-chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Group for the East of England, and our guest on the Eastern Promise podcast this week. I've used that clip several times on the podcast, and for good reason. First, because it's true. Second, it outlines the opportunity that the renewable energy sector represents for the east of England, and vice versa. Finally, Peter's comments reflect the fact that Lowestoft, the largest town in his constituency, is being transformed by the sector's presence. Although I was keen to discuss a wide range of issues from offshore wind to online democracy. It so happened that I met Peter in a very busy portcullis house in Westminster on the day of the autumn statement. Peter was kind enough to share his personal view of the Chancellor's various announcements. Well, it's, a, it's very early days, and you know, you know literally we've, we've had an opportunity to consider it and digest on it for a matter of hours. In the past, it's, um, if they are going to unravel, they unravel sort of over the, day, the next few days to come. I have not, as yet, if indeed there is any such sort of albatross or thing that is going to fall come out of it. They're pasty tax. Well, let's go. Caravan taxes. Uh-huh. Went in, back in 2012, my phone was ringing and pinging. Uh, do you know what? I before, bet it was. Before, before, before I'd even left the chamber. So <laughs> we've, not had, we've not had that no, this time around. No, no. And... I, actually, if we look at the macro level, um, I think the 
this, this Chancellor was continuing the steady that he goes, assuring the markets approach that he has done, the fiscally responsible, caring, compassionate, conservative approach, mm -hmm. which I think he has pursued successfully over the past 13, 14 months or so. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a continuation in what he's done. I think it was sensible policies. The issues that I was just outlining previously, a lot of emphasis on investment zones. Of mm. course, we don't notice many investment zones in our neck of the woods. No. As I was saying, we have an enterprise zone in Lowestoft and Yarmouth. That needs a little reinvigorating. That is a point I've made in the past. That is a point I'll continue to make in the coming weeks. Mm. Might even make it when I respond in the debate in the next three days. We have the normal how can I put it, the normal routine of, of reconfirming business rate beliefs for the next period. You actually have an alternative to do that, but I do think ultimately we need to get back to a system whereby business rates are the uniform business rate as, or the, the multiplier is, at, is, is instead of being at 54, 53B, yeah. steadily creeping up for those who are paying it at the full amount, needs to be back down at 30, 35B, which is what it came in when 19, in the 1990s. So it's not such a large sum of money for those who are paying it. Mm. And therefore, in that way, people can um, know where they're standing. Now, the Act that we've just put through Parliament in the last session, the Non-Domestic Rating Act, as it now is, that is a first step towards doing that. I think the government could have gone a little bit quicker, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, they've made that step, so it's welcome. Yeah. Without, you know, I'll, I'll be pressing the speed of travel is important. Excellent. And as a, the final point is, if you looked at the welfare arrangements, very important that the um, that you, um, that um, universal credit, other benefits are going up in line with inflation at. September rate, the higher rate, you know, we're still in a cost of living crisis. We are, yeah. And I think that's going to, you know, carry on over this winter. And if we look at um, certainly what I've picked up over the last six months or so in my, is the local housing allowance, which had been frozen for some time, um, that was beginning to cause a lot of strain with, you know, with um, rents in the private rented sector in particular going up significantly. It's great that you know the chancellor has recognized that i would then just say that the you know the measures to get people in back back into work the chancellor has identified an issue there is labor shortages labor mismatches right mm. across the economy and yeah. so he is introducing measures to address those um, and in, princi um, in principle, I am supportive of them. Yeah. But what we do not want to be doing is there are an awful lot of people a long, long way from the labour market, some people with disabilities and issues who will never return to, never return to work. And we don't, we, those people we need to be treating compassionately and understandingly. And, you know, I, I don't want to have a situation whereby someone who has got a terminal illness or who has got a disability that is only going to get worse is sort of um, being sort of kidding and controlled yes. when it's completely impacted. Yes. But there's always a risk, I think, of trying to 
hammer uh, square pegs into round holes, if you like. Um, I mean, it reminded me of your contribution, I think it was to the, the Lord's Amendments of the, the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill, when you really sort of talked about the cascade effect of, of really of good housing uh, in terms of that, the, the mental and health and well-being of the occupants, that people in better housing do better at school, get better jobs, better tax sheets. And, and that is exactly the kind of, of I think, the, exactly the right sort of cascade effect we should be looking for. That, that is, you know, I think, I think, as I said, this particular junction in time, that has become very, very expensive. The local housing allowance increasing that addresses the short-term problem. The longer-term problem is we need to be building more housing, mm. particularly at the social rent and the, and, the, and the affordable level. The mechanisms to do that are through our housing associations, a lot of whom are facing serious challenges at this time, mm. and also through Homes England. Now, I don't think there's any magic formula we can, magic wand we can wave to address that, other than reinforcing and consolidating those two particular, mm -hmm. you know, the, those two particular avenues and means of actually building more housing for rent. And then you need a conveyor belt where people, once they've got that neat foot on the ladder, yeah. housing ladder, they can move forward. That that conveyor belt, those initial, those rungs on that housing ladder, they have fallen away in recent years. We need to put them back. No, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things we're going to be looking at on the podcast side of Eastern Promise, because we're sort of, uh, I'm trying to sort of broaden it out beyond just a podcast, keep the podcast, but broaden out, is models like something called Forest Villages, which was um, mooted by a, a, an architect in Norwich called Matt Wood. Uh, the housing sort of within, shrouded in trees, Cars left, they're kept at the periphery, active travel dominates throughout affordable housing. But anyway, I'm sticking with the levelling up and regeneration bill, because you made a number of, I think, really interesting, people should go and read it, really interesting um, contributions to that debate. And you referenced your uh, vice presidency of the Suffolk Association of Local Councils and um, the kind of the government's moratorium on online meetings. And I thought that was really interesting, because if I was a number 10 or a DLUC Department of Levelling Up press officer, I think I would be nervous about councillors saying slightly offensive things and then it going viral um, because it's very easy to capture. However, I'm just interested in, in, in your take on that because elected councillors, they, they have an enormous, uh, an immediate impact on everyday life for most people, for, if I may say so, more so than, than an MP does uh, necessarily um, because of things like planning which are in their, 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 their purview. So I just wanted to know what, you, what your, the feedback you'd got from that was and, and what, what kind of motivated you to make that contribution and where you think we're going in terms of sort of trusting local councillors to be up to the task. Well, I think, first of all, with the levelling leveling up bill, an awful lot of the motives behind or, and, and the levelling up act, as it now was, yeah. was about devolution, letting mm. you, local councils, local people, get on with it, having devolution Excellent, yeah. And then suddenly saying, no... You can't have the We're not allowed not that. Yeah. to run the, the, those meetings as in the way you would like. We are saying you've got to do it like this. Now, I think where I come, came from, and it, come, it came out of COVID, in that during COVID, all of the um, um, local councils' meetings went online. And normally, I am unable to attend local council 
the town yeah, yeah, meetings because yeah. I'm I'm normally yeah, here, down yeah. here. Um, but that did enable me to start attending some. And that is something that I have continued. I can't do it every month because of clashes, but things like Bungie Town Council meetings that take place on a Thursday evening, which very often is I'm still here just doing catching up with paperwork before I go and catch a train home. Mm -hmm. That's and that one's one I do try to attend fairly regularly. Beckles Town Council meetings are a little bit more challenging because that is on a Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock when very often I may be trailing through the um, voting lobby. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been able to attend those and I've been yeah. able to see how those councils operate. They operate in a, in a practical, common-sense way and the, them, giving them the responsibility to decide how they operate their meetings and that, the voting arrangements, I think was a sense... And I don't think they would say, right, chaps, we're never going to meet no. in public. Um, <laughs> we're all going to sit in our houses. And you've got a nightmare scenario then of you have people who are elected representatives who never leave their houses. Yeah. You would, you, that, that would, these are sensible people. That would, yeah. not, that would not happen. And there can be, and there was an instance fairly recently where I attended, where a particular councillor was not at that meet. He was in online, not able to um, attend. Um, I'm assuming he might have been ill or something like yeah. that. And in that sort of situation, he should be allowed to to, 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 to vote yeah. in thing. And. I think also linked to it, so I've had representations both from Salk, mm -hmm. Suffolk Association Local Councils, from the town and parish councils, the frontiers. I've also had representations actually from the, the higher tiers, um, mm. from, um, from Suffolk County Council, from East Suffolk Council, saying, look, and also from the Boards Authority, ah, which is yes. covered by this. Now, if you look at Suffolk and indeed Norfolk County Council, and indeed, the board's authority. These are authorities that cover a long, a large geographical really area. Yeah. Now, do you want sometimes elderly councillors travelling miles and miles and miles late at night, maybe in clement weather, from I don't know, from you know. Um, down from Ipswich up to Bungie or Lowestoft or somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, couldn't, yes, you have to, the majority of meetings have to take, it should take place in person. But couldn't we just have a little bit of flexibility there? Mm -hmm. And I think it's flexibility that they would probably use responsibly. Obviously, we also, as we've had experience in the last few weeks, had um, inclement weather conditions, those yeah, storms coming in. Mm. And I suspect some councils have probably said, well, hang on, they were responding to the advice from, um, from the Weather, the weather Centre and the Environment Agency and said, well, hang on, we're actually going to have to cancel this meeting. Well, they, didn't need to, they wouldn't need to cancel the meeting if they could do it online. Yeah, exactly. So no. that, was, that was an issue I raised. I think certain, and you know, and I booted accordingly. I think actually it was something, you know, I wasn't a sort of lone voice on that. <laughs> if, you, if you look at Hansard, there were quite a lot yes, of people yeah, yeah. who came at it from the same way. 
And I, ho I hope that, you know, this government or fairly soon whatever government does actually recognise that yeah. and introduce that element of flexibility and local decision making. So we've, we've, you, you mentioned evolution and obviously we've got yep. elected leaders coming in once the ink is dry yep. for Norfolk and for Suffolk. We've already got a Metro Mayor for the combined authority in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. What difference do you think, particularly for Suffolk, that's, that's going to make in your interactions with local government and with kind of that, that general interaction? Or is it not really going to change all that much? I think what it... Well, <laughs> there is a boat that has sailed that we're never going to get back. Mm -hmm. And the boat that has sailed, which I regret, is actually, you know, and I, I'm going to be slightly radical here, um, but, and I think it was an opportunity we missed. I think it was, an, I think, an, an, a, an elected... People don't like the word mayor because they think of towns and cities rather than mm -hmm. regions, but, you know, whatever you might call that person. Mm -hmm. I think representing Norfolk, Suffolk and Cambridgeshire yeah. would, you know... Boy, we're a region with such enormous potential and opportunities. Yes. That would have given us real clout to make decisions across that area. And, you know, I'm not, forgive me, we can blow, you can blow areas, blow other regions out of the water. We've got so much to offer. Do you know? And armed hand in hand with that, some form of local government reform. Now, that is an opportunity that has gone. I think it was an opportunity we missed, whether it's back in 2013 or whatever. We are now moving towards devolution on a county basis. Um, I don't think it's quite as good, but I think it is. it will enable better local decision-making, funding being allocated to make those decisions those decisions locally and those investment decisions mm. locally, and I think that's, that is good news. Do you know, you, you've done it again, you, you're constantly, whenever I've, I've spoken to you, uh, you did this on a, a Vox Pop when we did the all-party group meeting, um, when you did the levelling up report, we had Dehenna Davison, the local government minister at the time, um, speaking um, to respond to it. At that time, you gave me a quote about our region being able to keep the lights on single-handed through renewable energy that I have to say I have used several times as a trail into someone else's interview, just to say that, that somebody who actually summarises in, in one sentence uh, the absolutely huge potential. I mean, I think this is the most exciting time to be in the east of England, or, or the second most exciting time, the most exciting time being tomorrow. Um, and, you know, uh, Rachel Bunn at East Coast College, I went to the Energy Skill Centre, and she sang your praises. What an amazing facility. You were we were talking again earlier about cascading down of benefits, and that just strikes me as, as, an, as the, um, exactly what's happening in Lowestoft. I mean, you drive in now, and everything seems to be coming. Uh, the buildings are clean and shiny. Uh, you know, constant new new developments, new refurbishments. Are kind of the, the town's really kind of raising its head and and getting the wind, if you pardon the expression, in its sails. That, that, that's amazing. I, I, how does that excite you for the future? I'm, 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 we'll come on to sort of slightly downsides, like contracts for difference in a minute. But just, I just invite you to sort of share my enthusiasm, really. Well, there is, there, it is incredibly exciting, um, you know. And if you look at those 
energy opportunities all, all along our coast and also focused on Lowestoft mm. as well. And if you look at, there are opportunities, you know, whether, uh, actually I still believe there are what I would call fish opportunities in sustainable fishing, a new mm. way of doing things. And that particular, you know, that, that's the challenge is we, that we have not made as much progress as we have done on the energy potential. Um, we've obviously got projects like the Gullwing Bridge taking place at the moment. Mm. Now, that is going to make, I think, Lowestoft a more attractive and compelling place to, to do business. So, um, and it can be a catalyst for change and a catalyst for growth. And that, that is something that we've got to make the most of. And, it, and actually, that link to something like the Towns deal... Um, what, that, what the bridge should do is to remove traffic, say, from something like Station Square. Mm, and yes. the station in Lowestoft has the advantage of being, you know, unlike a lot of stations, if you think if you go to, um, if you go to um, Fort Station in Norwich or if you go to Ipswich Station, yep. you've, got to go, you've got to then go a bit you've of a walk yeah. up to the town centre. <laughs> You're right, and it's very it's Lowestoft, central. it brings you right into the heart of the town centre. And actually removing... Make, stopping the sort of trunk road going through Station Square, st having it sort of um, starting from the north side of the Gullwing Bridge, you're then going to, that's going to enable us to do something a bit special with that Station Square area. The town's mm. deal is coming up, and the, the projects there have come out with some exciting initiatives um, to actually address, if you like, the change, the, tr the traditional way of that we've done high streets and town centres since, probably since the war, mm. um, has, has gone, largely because of the move of the shopping online. And we've got to reinvent these town centres. And I think we're beginning to do that. Um, there's still an awful long way to go. I look at the work, you mentioned Rachel Bunn at the East Coast College. East Coast College are doing great work. We've still got a lot of work to do to give people, you know, provide people with those skills and opportunities to make the most of these, op the, the, these jobs that are coming to our area so that people don't feel compelled to sort of, um, well, leave, leave, leave Lowestoft and move to London or whatever. No, There's indeed. And I think also learning from the lessons of the park. The great thing about the renewables is that there's not an end exactly to that right. particular yeah, cycle. Yeah, yeah. It, goes all, it should go on and on. Yeah. So it's not a question, well, this is, a, this is my job for five years and then I've got to go for something else. It can be, it can be there, you know, for, for, your, whole, for your whole career. Yes, you, you, know, you should probably be able to advance and slightly change where you're going in your career, but you haven't got that worry uh, looking over your shoulder, well, it's here today, but uh, let's make hay while the sun shines, but I've got to be looking at something else in the future. That shouldn't be a problem. But I think also what you've got to do, and we've looked at this in the past, you've got to have a diverse economy. And that's, that look, that's looking at the renewables, it's looking at the... It's also looking, as I've mentioned, a, a sustainable fishing industry, yeah. the, you know, the farming and the food processing, and... Leisure and tourism is something that we have got a great offer. And so across all of those, then I think you've got a more resilient economy and you can get away from the situation whereby where you rely on one industry, when that industry catches a 
hold, you know, the whole supply chain gets loose. So yeah, exactly. So we've got to, we've got to wait. And so I think we are moving in the right direction, but it's a, there's a long way to go. The if you look the cost of living crisis where we're, we're now, which we're, we're now in, you know, that presents an obstacle on the way. You spoke again. In, I'm going to use this phrase. I've been using this phrase a lot. You spoke in a debate about round five of the contracts for difference. Now I don't pretend to understand. I'll ask people like Kevin Keeble to explain those to me uh, from Eager or Jonathan Reynolds. But um, I'm name dropping. I just wanted to ask you what your feeling is about round six and seven because you you did ask uh, in the debate. Have we learned the lessons from round five? Are, are you confident we are? In a place I where think, we can well, do obviously, better. obviously, last week the, we had the draft announcement for round six, setting the, setting the parameters for the auction next year. And I think in that, the initial feedback is that government have recognised um, the efficiencies of, shall we say, round five, mm -hmm. and there is going to be an opportunity in rounds six and seven to get that, get the offshore wind industries, if you like, mm. and those projects, you know, which we're off our, off our coast, which are coming forward in that sort of, in, in, the, in the wind sector, get them back online or on target without doing too much damage. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, if you look, this is say for a start, this mechanism, the contracts for difference mechanism, which the government introduced in the Energy Act of 2013, I think it was, mm -hmm. has been remarkably successful. Yeah. Um, but then, and each year, it's been remarkably successful, getting that cost down, competitive bidding, but then all of a sudden, when it came to round five, as a result of... Covid, war in Ukraine, Ukraine yeah. challenges in the whole global economy. Suddenly, the parameters and the and the ba and the basis on which um, the had been set were were wrong. And I think we saw all saw this a long way out. And it was a you know I think back in you know the announcements were came forward in in October. You know probably we saw this coming back in February. Um, and it was a bit like setting out on a journey from, say, Lowestoft up to Glasgow. Yes. You put your sat nav on, and it says um, uh, um, there's, a, there's an accident at Scotch Corner on the A1. Don't go there. Nevertheless, you set out when you yeah. get there. It is. <laughs> Lo and behold. Yes. Yes. But I it think they have up. said it right. And it was quite actually in one of the debates on the CFDs, which I took, took part in, um, Graham Stewart, the minister, he did take me to task a little bit. I, he did, yes. didn't he? I read, I read that with a bit of like, I'm not sure what he's doing well, here because he, he seemed to be sort of, I don't think picking on you, but he was kind of almost gleeful almost. Yep. And he did actually confess that. I promise you, I'm not gleeful, but it was quite strange. No, I think where I think the point he was making, now I likened it. I was comparing it like to a bit like you compare it like a, to a, so say a football match. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying was looking at round five in its oh well, looking at round five a bit like FA Cup round five. Yeah. We'd lost end of story. Mm -hmm. Now what he was saying was actually we now have annual rounds, and what this means is that this is a two-legged cup tie. I see. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so you're going to be able to get it back. Yes. In the next round, and. Um, well, 
So far, <laughs> we have, um, that looks as if it may be coming to pass, but um, do I regret what I said? No. No, but I'm I good, I'm glad to hear it. I think it had to be, you know, I think it was quite clear from, as I said, by actually about February onwards, that there was going to be this ch challenge or problem that could cause, mm -hmm. could cause major challenges or major problems for a industry that is very important to our future and it was right to raise it I think government luck have taken that on board and hopefully it's only going to be a hiccup yeah, well, let's hope so. I mean, because it's it's so important for Lowestoft and what it's doing for Lowestoft. I'm really excited to see Lowestoft grow, and I've got some sort of contribution to the Greater Gabbard Fund, and which is hopefully going to sort of keep me coming back. As I said, East, East Coast College was the first part of that. But you are one, as you well know, one of the co-chairs of the East of England All-Party yep. Parliamentary Group, which I have to say has a, 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 it's sort of been so active. Uh, since, since with you and Daniel Zeichner, uh, the other uh, the other co-chair, and uh, it's very active under the joint chairmanship. Steve Barwick does a, a brilliant job on the agenda. Um, there's lots of discussions, both hybrid and in person. Uh, really exciting. Um, what's been your approach to the to the, the the APPG, and how would you like to see that work grow? Obviously, there's an election on the horizon, which will alter the dynamics slightly. But um, how would you like to see that work continue? I think the first thing I would just say, and um, I, I can't, I, I was perhaps, I was part of the decision-making process, but I can't say and take credit for it all. And I think, as you mentioned, someone like, um, or Daniel and mm. Steve, who, um, who provides the secretariat, yeah. also the East of England local government. Yes, you? I'm sorry, I, I apologise to uh, the, Adam and team. What I think what has been very successful over the past year is we produced last year we were we did our looking at the leveling up um, missions the government had set out we actually scrutinized them identified five where there were particular weaknesses that came out in the report from December of last year mm. now there's always a temptation you produce a nice glossy report you have a launch then it goes onto the onto the um, onto your sideboard and it gathers oh, yeah, dust the desk, and nothing yeah. ever happens. Uh, but we've done exactly the opposite. That what that what that report has done, it has basically been our provided our work for this last year, mm. and we've taken that forward, really burrowed down on those missions where we've got work to do, and it has informed what we've done. And one of the things we have taken forward, and you mentioned to Hannah Davison, when it comes to housing and skills, mm. we have set up a group with officials from the um, from the Department of Leveling Up to actually really? look at how we're doing, how that how we're do looking to That's achieve those missions and that. to move forward. And it's that sort of um, work, if you like linking together local government, businesses who take part in the APPG, through the MPs, through the all-party group, then government. So we're actually driving yeah. forward and addressing these challenges together. 
I'm glad you mentioned local government. That's because I think they're a, they're, they're a very important link in the chain, and that's something I've been very conscious to do with Eastern Promises, is make sure that engagement is there and that, that strong relationship is there. Um, we know there's a general election coming in the next 12 to 18 months, and there's, there's been a lot of change to the boundaries of what will be um, the constituencies post-election. I don't want to sort of um, prejudge what the, the electors of Suffolk and... Because we've got, and uh, in, in, in the case of the Waverley Valley constituency, uh, Norfolk would do. That's the, the first cross-boundary one. The only... If you want me, the one thing I did... I can't, don't think there's a way out of it, but I did see it from being a problem. The constituency that I represent, or mm -hmm. at the moment, is Waverley. Yes. And a relatively small part of that, the Bungie and the surrounding yes. villages, that is now going into the Waveney Valley seat. And Waveney, per se, the majority of what I now represent, is going back to what I think was from 1920, probably all the way up to 1970, name mm. of the lowest stuff of low stuff. Yeah. And, um, and... The, Calling the new one Waveney Valley, it's creating a little bit of confusion. Yeah. Um, that said, when it was talked about, you know, when you look at it, it's it's um, it's areas either side of the River Waveney, mm. going you know from 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 the Bungie area up through Harleston, through Dis, mm. and it's actually taking right up to probably the source of the of the river. Yeah. And therefore, it is going to be... You know, it's getting, I can see logically why they have called it Waveney Valley, but it is going to create a little bit of confusion. Yes. I mean, we, I remember when I was a, a parliamentary judge, we'd be still getting calls um, from Wyndham long after that had gone into mid-Norfolk. But, um, I mean, is there any part... Again, I'm not trying to prejudge the election, but obviously Bungie will be part of this new constituency. Are you, are you going to be sorry that if it should you be returned to the new lowest off constituency, which I'm assuming you're standing in, um, will you miss? The answer, you miss well, the answer Hailsworth is yeah, no, yeah. Well, Hailsworth went out some time ago. Did it? I'm Hailsworth. so sorry. I'm what, looking at the wrong. No, what you maps. what you write? What you originally had when, in 1970. 1974, so it would have come in in 1975 general election. That was when you created, you had local government reform, mm -hmm. and the Waveney District Council was created. I remember, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when Waveney District Council was created, the Waveney District boundaries were coterminous with the parliamentary boundaries. Now that was ideal. Everyone mm. knew where they stood, and that was the constituency that Jim Fryer represented. Yes. What has then happened over the years, which is nothing you do about it, the way things go, yeah, this, yeah. is that there have been housing development on the edges of, particularly in edge of, on the outskirts of Lowestoft, you know, someone like Carlton Colville, a village of yeah. um, 300 people, now a, now a community stroke of town of, yeah. um, of 10,000 people. Yeah. And as you, as they criticise, they basically, what that, that, that original, Waveney constituency was chipped away. The Southworlds, the Halesworths went into Suffolk Coastal. Yeah. And you have now got a situation with the numbers increasing that you are forming a new constituency. Up until now, in our area, we've been able to form constituencies all within county boundaries. Yeah. This one, actually, looking at the numbers increase, we are 
we can only we, you can only justify a half a constituency in Suffolk and half a constituency in Norfolk. So you're merging the two together to get the cross-border one, which I think whoever represents it, it will be a challenge. We're having to deal with lots of district councils. Yes. But the answer is, I love representing the constituency as I do at the moment. I, there are different opportunities and different challenges in Lowestoft, Beckles and Bungie. And in an ideal world, I would have liked to have had the opportunity to continue to represent that constituency as it was. If, if going right back, um, when David Cameron, remember him? I do. He was, when he was Prime Minister, before he came back in a new incarnation. Yes. Um, you, he was originally, in 2010, came in, came in and said, we're going to cut the cost of government and therefore we are going to reduce the number of MPs from 650 to 600. Mm, I remember it well. When he did that, and they did do a draft proposals, mm. under that, it would have, the Waverley constituency as it is, would have remained as it is now. Yeah. So I suppose, in my wishful thinking, <laughs> I would have liked it, that to have been introduced, but that would have created mm -hmm. a lot of turmoil among constituents or some of Matt's colleagues, yes. who would have suddenly seen that, they were, that um, you know, their constituency might be disappearing altogether. And I think that is ultimately why they've kept to the status quo of 650. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to finish with a question that I've asked the other two MPs I've interviewed yeah. so far, George Freeman and Daniel Zeigner. And the parliamentary state, I mean, this is sort of all new, new and shiny since yeah. the actual palace of Westminster. Um, it's, it's not out of the bounds of possibility that a lift might get stuck. And I just wanted to ask, which MP would you most like to be stuck in a lift with? <laughs> um, ooh, um, the Prime Minister. Well, oh, very sensible <laughs> answer. So, there you go. awful lot of things that I think <laughs> up during the course of the day that I would like to bend his ear on. Um, and just for a few minutes, you would have the opportunity to do so. I might be able to... He's obviously... A, he is, you know, if you think about it, three ports and investment zones are actually his creation. Mm -hmm. I would, and I would like to actually say, come on, um, don't forget the enterprise zones. You've taken an awful lot of what came with enterprise zones and put them into three ports and investment zones, but let keep, let's keep the flame alive and, and burning in those, invest, in those enterprise zones we've got, which actually have been pretty successful in most of the armour and let's reignite them and carry on with the good work. That's the sort of thing I would like to mention to him. Well, Peter Aldous, MP for Waveney, fighting for Suffolk even when trapped in a hypothetical lift. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It's been a pleasure to be here, pleasure to be back in Parliament, and a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Many thanks to me, Mike. Thank you. My huge thanks to Peter, and I don't think it'll surprise you to hear that that's not the last we'll hear from him on the Eastern Promise podcast. With online shopping now well and truly mainstream, the way we shop is changing from purely retail to one increasingly driven by experiences. Escape rooms, VR suites, gaming cafes, yoga pods, bubble tea. 
but keen to demonstrate that technology can also bridge the gap between pure retail and experience-driven outings are Urban XR, Norwich-based specialist in mixed and augmented reality. Along with Eastern Promise's very own Sally Osborne, I was invited along to Urban XR's pop-up shop at the Castle Quarter in Norwich to find out how technology is offering hope to the high street. We're in, I suppose you better call it Castle Quarter. I'm going to see I'm already going into the, the, yes. uh, the radio speed. We're in Castle Quarter in Norwich, <laughs> and we're in this fabulous pop-up shop that's been put together by Urban XR, and we're here with James Lee Burgess, the, the Jedi master of augmented <laughs> reality. We're here, we've got this fabulous-looking wooden bookcase with, that's replete with your logo. Tell, tell yes. us, and I can see this on the branded Urban XR... Um, goggles uh, yep. w just waiting here what's the purpose of this this pop-up shop well this is a result of a funding competition we were lucky enough to win uh, amongst many other businesses uh, i think there's probably i think um, tech educators also got some money through the dcms fund last year sponsored by innovate uk and Department of Culture, Media and Sport, a bit of a mouthful. So we got money from that, which was great for this concept, which was looking at how um, we can activate empty units on the high street. That was the initial concept. Mm -hmm. Coming from an architectural background, um, a lot of the empty sort of shops on the high street, urban environment was vexing me a lot. So I just started thinking about how we could do something quickly that could activate spaces and leveraging technology at the same time yeah so what's quite interesting is that the reason we're sort of one of the reasons we're facing empty units is obviously the shift to online retail and it's whether we could use technology which has drawn those people away to then bring them back out of the home into the city and onto the street using technology that can take existing digital assets from online stores and present them in a place specific way We've done that by designing a physical structure, which is modular, and we then map our augmented reality templates or mixed reality templates to that for brands to place their content in and provide a, a live mixed reality showcase for their products. I mean, looking at the unit now, it's and hearing you say what you just said, it's absolutely obvious that how this would... would, would uh, I say this now. It, it seems absolutely obvious how that would work. Uh, to, to create that kind of mix of virtual and the physical. For those not steeped in the law, can you explain to us, is there a difference between augmented and mixed reality, or are they just different words for the same thing? Um, I think, yeah, they are sort of different words for the same thing. I think many people are used to augmented reality. I think the way, which is something you look at through a phone or a screen, but I think the difference with mixed reality, or another phrase is spatial computing, which is becoming very ah. popular... Yeah, we love a we love a, a new a new acronym <laughs> or a new new phrase, a new term. Um, so uh, mixed reality, I would say, is through a headset, and that anchors objects in your three-dimensional space. So you're not looking through a screen. So it's a lot more realistic and immersive, but you can still see your environment. So I you're see. not you're not looking at it through a screen. I would I would say that uh -huh. is augmented reality. Uh -huh. um, mixed reality is you're immersed. Still in your environment, but with 3D objects around you. Right. Let's let's have a let's have a go. Go on. Okay. Let's have a go. Yeah. So let's this a is go, a Meta Quest Three mixed reality headset. Right. 
Looks like a VR headset, can operate as a VR headset, but what you'll see when you put it on is you'll see the environment around you. I did notice the cameras on the, there's yep. little cameras on the front now. No, should be okay with your glasses, hopefully. Yeah, How's that feeling? That feels good. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Okay. Now I've learned from last time to be careful of what I do with my hands. Because <laughs> we've done this before, where I've waved my hands about like a lunatic and everything's gone sideways. <laughs> it should be so, okay, actually. You've got its hand tracking. Wow. So you, you can... Um, so what you're seeing is on the left-hand side, three trainer brands. I can definitely... I can confirm. There's one very, gen, you know, high-tech-looking thing that obviously you can't see, but I can. A high-tech-looking thing with a revolving grey shoe. Then we've got a very outdoorsy one with birds and... Uh, clouds and beautiful skyline, uh, kind of a, a very colourful shoe in the middle, and then we've got a, a, an athletic-looking young lady um, with uh, a, a very sporty-looking running shoe on the right-hand side. Yeah, and then on that right-hand side, you've got local artist Brad uh, Brad Rumble. You, yeah, and his uh, uh, a sculpture of his, I presume. Yeah, a couple of sculptures. He is a mixed-media artist. Oh, yes. um, and with each of those um, alcoves, yeah. you can press the button. And it'll take you to a more. Right. You ah, have now, to walk towards it. I have to walk the towards it and yeah. press the button. Now there's an outline of my hand here, <laughs> so let's go and press the button. Boop. Oh, right. Mind that podium behind you. See more play video. Oh, now you can't see this. You can't see this. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> there is now a giant re revolving statue. Hang on. Can I? Oh, okay. I'll just I, take you back. I, I took back. I, I, don't, I didn't finish seeing that. Right, we're going again. Now, oh, that's a bit of a surprise when you turn around. There's a giant rendition of his sculpture rotating here. I'm waving my hands around. Uh, and on the wall, there is a video playing that I can see and hear of uh, Mr. Rumble putting together a piece of his uh, fantastic artwork. So what we've done here is we've taken recordings of Instagram Reels, which is content brands already have, and they're normally based around storytelling yeah. with a soundtrack. So we've been able to put those in a different format, in a sort of physical location, uh, as, a, as a video you can play on, on demand, essentially. So yeah. it's always using existing assets. The head you see in the middle is a scan of one of his sculptures, which are about this big. So the head is supersized in that experience. It's, uh, it's yeah. slightly unsettlingly <laughs> supersized. And the, the whole shop is now transformed into, into his storefront, basically. Yeah. You've got, you know, the, his logo is sort of dominating the central panel, and all the, all the various alcoves are now his. So if I move and go, uh, I, I had the sound effects, it's not. So um, <laughs> let's just go and have one more try over here. Look at the Nike trainer, that's a good one. Oh, there's a giant shoe. There's a giant shoe, and it's turning right here in front of me. Just ratchet it up. <laughs> this is a lot of talking to us. There we go. How's that? Yeah. OK? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, I can see how it works now. Yeah, so if you walk over to the buttons, you just press the play button or the select button for more it's info, and, and it should take you to a... Play video. Oh. And then there'll be a 3D model just on top of the podium there to your right. You should be able to see. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> I've got all these hand things in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's hand tracking. So I think when your hands go out of yes. view of the cameras, it just leaves a little shadow of where they used to be, uh, which is quite... <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
So where's these images come from? Are these the ones that have come from Instagram? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. screen recorded and then refined to get the file size down. So um, that's kind of a really quick workflow yes. for brands. But of course, we can do any size of screen. Uh, we've done experiences that have like a full format video playing. Yeah. Also, we have a ceiling video and things like that. So it's... Um, I can really see now, having been in it, the impact that it can have. You can see that more than perhaps when you're on the outside yeah. in terms of advertising and yeah. understanding the product in more deeper detail. I'm in the shoe. I'm assuming, does it just rotate or can I rotate? Yeah, you should be able to spin it around. Yeah. So yeah. you can... You make it bigger and smaller? No. It's not yet. Not yet. So that's that's a big. Couldn't afford to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you see it developing then? The next stage, we want to develop a platform, basically, which is based around making it easier for brands to engage with uh, us. So we have templates that we can work with quite easily. So it's very important that the, the, the entry level cost is suitable for. Really want to try and target sort of sustainable online brands yeah. to start off with. And, and I think just getting another trial location, maybe for a bit longer, yeah. where we can work that up, uh, will be ideal. So we need to go into the next stage of proof of concept, basically. So just moving towards that. You can select different colours from I that know, menu. I know, I'm just noticing this menu. Oh, and I've changed the colour of the shoe. It is now uh, what I would describe as a slight... It's called Paradisimo. And it is slightly garish, uh, light blue, <laughs> yellow, and green and white. And now it's, it's gone pink and blue and white, called deep blue. And there's everything. This will be interesting. Ah, uh, yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> the darkness is the top choice. Let's have a look at that. Oh, now that's actually quite a swish. It's grey, uh, uh, sort of teal and uh, grey. Two shades of grey. So that is, is quite... And look inside. Let's look inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, and now we've got an exploded view of the shoe. So I can see every layer that makes up the shoe just rotating here in front of me above this podium. And I must stop. And there's all sorts of upper. You can see the upper. Let's have a look at the upper. Boop. So, yep, yeah, we've got the, just the upper. Let's have a look at the air sole unit. That's uh, for the inside of the shoe. It's not some kind of uh, paradrop R&B uh, combo. <laughs> Max Hill. That sounds like someone's detective name. <laughs> yes. Yep. Max Heal. Outsole. And there's the, the bit you step on, and everything is exactly as it sounds. Wow. This is amazing. It's the idea that you work with maybe the online brands, the ethical online brands, the sustainable online brands, and then bring them into places like the castle. Uh, yeah. yeah. So exactly. that people can then come into a shop and can experience the product. Exactly. And purchase it online. Yeah, so it's about taking a brand's, if they've got digital content like 3D models and video already, uh, it means we can set up an experience for them. And we do several brands at once, for example, so you know, we could do like six here potentially, yeah. and we can just delve deeper and deeper into those each time. Uh, and they don't have to come here physically and bring loads of stock. Yes. So one of the barriers towards doing a pop up is. Quite often your time is limited as a smaller brand. Uh, the fit-out costs money. Transporting the stock costs money. So all those things pretty much disappear with this. Um, we just need... It can be done remotely by the brand. Uh, whoever's in charge of it can give us the information and we can start to populate an that experience is, for them. Yeah. 
yeah. I can really see the value of bringing different brands into yeah. the high street. It expands our high street and enables more products to come into our high street. Exactly, yeah. So the idea, yeah. even though our trailer brands here are pretty big names, yeah. um, things like the work we're doing with Brad, uh, Grum Reaper, the artist, I think that's, that's definitely where we'll end up heading. Yes. Because I think, I think just breaking those barriers down to a physical presence on the high street for these kind of brands is really important, definitely. Yeah, um, I can really see art, coming, how you could bring art in as well. Yeah, and storytelling is very important. And a lot of these successful online sort of digital brands uh, exist in Instagram, YouTube, uh, other, other places. It's very much about telling a story outside of their brand. What do they stand there? What are their values? So using that content to create a more immersive experience on the high street is, is definitely what we're trying to focus on. It's absolutely fabulous. I'm going to try, if I can see where it is, the art one. Is that one over there? Yeah. If I press the video here. So what I'm listening to and seeing is a story an Instagram story about an artist, how she's setting up her brand and being able to see it in a shop, it's really quite powerful. Yeah, the idea that you can take that content and then reuse it in a, in a slightly different way, yeah. I think is also very attractive for brands. Yeah. So it doesn't just exist on a social media platform in a, in a phone. It brings um, it somehow more into reality and yeah. it also enables it to reach a wide audience. Exactly, because yeah. those who aren't using Instagram or TikTok or whatever platform yeah. it's come from, they can come and experience it whilst they should exactly. in a fun way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it kind of changes that way you're engaging with that media. In a slight, you've got more of a focus, a piece of attention potentially, because there's other, other things you're looking at, yeah. a bit more of a story being told. I think also the idea that we can then when people are in the experiences, we can take a feed from the headset and we can do recordings of that. So we then give, give that to people that are visited. Yeah. That can become like a... They can then promote that on post it on social media. Yeah. So then you're getting traffic and promotion of the brand as well via, via those kind of things. So, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it's quite strange for you talking to me because I can yeah. see your face <laughs> yes. and your facial expressions. But you can't really no, see No, I just mine. see three dots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to remove this down. That has been absolutely amazing. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. <laughs> I'll help you take it off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll just loosen this off. There we go. Thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right in what you say, in that this, this experience is something that re can completely revitalise the high street. And it's an experience that most of us, I don't think, will have at home. No, not at the moment. Not at the moment, not no. for a good long years yet, because, oh, yeah, I mean, I know my nephew has um, uh, VR goggles, but they're just a basic VR. They're not this. This is next level. I find VR makes me go quite dizzy, actually, but this is just incredible. Yeah, I think it's... I, I almost don't want to take it off, because this is too, too cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, too it's much better, because you can see your surroundings, you don't get that nausea, uh, which yeah. you normally get with a, a being cut off from the environment. Also, the ability to just kind of take this digital content, make 3D models for brands. We can also look at doing like after experience packages as well, where we might do a, we could do a VR version of the store for people and take it to another level so they can take it home for a short amount of time, those kind of things. Um, so yeah, we're quite excited by it. And, and you also get the, the benefits of coming out here being in Norwich and I can just see out the, out the window the, the tea shop and the, uh, the hot pod yoga across the way, which uh, a bit of a 
bit of a uh, late-stage uh, convert to yoga, I have <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Exactly. Um, it's, I think, also the mixture of retail and experience as well that it provides. Yes, kind of I mean, that is, is, that is what... interesting. When can people come and visit this store and, and with appropriate adult supervision, have a go <laughs> at this mighty system? Yeah, well, they're here this week, so it's Thursday. I can't, what's the date today? I can't remember. It is Wednesday the, Wednesday the 10th of January. Yeah, so Thursday the 11th and Friday the 12th and Saturday as well. Right. Um, so whether that will miss your when this is no, coming No, I'm going to... Excellent. There you go. Yeah, so Thursday, and Friday all day, then Saturday for two or three hours as well. Um, so that's, that's be wonderful. Right, I will hand this back because I think the clock to me doing something stupid is ticking down. <laughs> the great part being is you are less likely to walk into stuff, and I have watched people do this with VR headsets, is back into things or walk straight into things yeah. thinking they're in that w environment. It's not l less likely town here. I won't go as far as to say impossible. But James Lee Burgess, I will now hand back the headset. Thank you so much. I wish you all every success because this is exactly what we need, and I can think of lots of places across the, across the region that would really benefit from this kind of experience. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers, Mike. My thanks to James Lee Burgess, Artificial Hamster Vendor, Urban XR Supremo and friend of the show. Also thank you to my co-host Sally Osborne, from whom you heard there. And now, this. Ah, New Year, ripe with promise. Eastern promise. Hello, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, thank you. <clears throat> but aside from future editions of this magnificent podcast and the various events, shindigs and hootenannies that Eastern promise is planning, what's got you champing at the bit for 2024? Let's find out in the years first... Crowd Sorcery Yes, Crowd Sorcery Our first foot over the threshold of 2024 is Carolyn Reed, Chief Executive Officer of Groundwork East Carolyn says she looks forward to building stronger partnerships so that, together, we can fight climate change and keep people warm and well. She adds, I look forward to our January expansion of the Cadent Foundation Green Doctor Programme and its delivery in Cambridgeshire and Essex into Norwich, working with community-based projects and local partnerships in disadvantaged communities to identify and help vulnerable energy customers in most need. Carolyn continues, Obviously, Mike, hosting a project visit for Eastern Promise is up there on my most looked forward to list. Why, thank you, Carolyn. Do you know, I am looking forward to that too. And all power to Carolyn on this final point. She says she's personally looking forward to the Norfolk Marathon, a brand new road run in North Norfolk this April. Carolyn, good luck. I take my hat off to you for that. I truly do. And you can find out more about what Groundwork East is doing at groundwork.org.uk From one friend of the show to another now Adam Peed business development strategist and talent acquisition and recruitment expert says Adam I'm looking forward to getting to a Connexon event this year and also the Eastern Promise food event Norfolk Restaurant Week is always one I look out for too Thank you Adam and that is not the last we'll hear about any of those 
Dr. Tammy Dugan now, Life Sciences and Healthcare Partnerships Lead at the University of Cambridge. Looking forward to your very own Norwich Eastern Promise Food Science Supercluster event, Connexon Networking, O2H Group Cambridge events, and hopefully attending for the first time some Mills and Reeve Life Science events and One Nucleus and Bioindustry Association events too. Thank you, Tammy, and I look forward to you joining us for our Food Summit and seeing you at those other very fine events too. And it's not just me saying that, it's also Deborah Dawson, of our very good friends and sponsors of Eastern Promise, Mills and Reeve. Deborah goes on to say, Looking forward to attending some 2024 events, starting with Cambridge Wireless, hosting at Mills and Reeve's London offices in January your very own Eastern Promise Norwich Food Science event in February, many Cambridge events in the summer months, Cambridge Wide Open Day, Cambridge Tech Week, and one Nucleus's Helix event. Cannot wait! Thank you for the Eastern Promise mention, Deborah, but judging by that list, I can only conclude you have discovered the benefits of time travel. And all I can say to that is, please don't keep it all to yourself. Owner of one of the finest Christmas jumpers I have ever seen next. Tarquin Bennett Coles, senior partner at SCI Partners, advisor for Little Bean Journey, pro bono mentor for the Homerton Changemakers, and careers in healthcare supporter for the MBA and EMBA students at the Judge Institute. I think that one must be specially for those in the northwest of England. EMBA! Tarquin tells us it's a few months off, but the Cambridge Club Festival looks to be a front runner. So many networking events to look forward to like Connexon, Cambridge Tech Week, the inaugural One Nucleus Awards Dinner and the Connect Health Tech Congress. Thank you, Tarquin. And I have to say, lots of love on Crowdsorcery this week for Connexon, and rightly so. I really enjoyed my first one and I'm still cross I wasn't able to stay longer. Thank you to the Connexon Triumvirate, Paula Beckenstein, Hazel Jones and Lee Pugh who I'm honoured to say have replied to me saying, Mike, great to have you. Save the date for the next Connexon event on February the 28th. Well, I have. And if you haven't, you better have a good excuse. And for those of you wondering, what is this food science summit he keeps going on about? And why Eastern Promise believes that Norwich has everything it needs to become the centre, the core, the nexus, if you will, of a food science supercluster? Well, One, we do, and two, keep listening to the Eastern Promise podcast as all will be revealed very soon. And for more sharing of places to go, places to meet, places to visit and places to eat, consider, won't you, joining our Crowdsorcery WhatsApp group. And the house moves that this podcast do now adjourn. I will bow to the speaker's chair and exit the chamber, secure in the knowledge that I shall have your company again next week. In the meantime, let me thank this week's guest, Member of Parliament for Waveney, Peter Aldous. Thank you too to the ever-wonderful and patient Sally Osborne, the glue that holds Eastern Promise together. Thank you too to all my crowd sorcerers, to the boss of bass, titan of treble and monarch of the mid-range, Engineer 49. But most of all, thank you to you for listening. 2024 is going to be a huge year for Eastern Promise and this podcast. 
we're going to be doing more events, more panels, more trips. Though I promise, I promise we're not going to go all top gear with a succession of ever more improbable challenges, races and general silliness. I mean, unless that's what you want, is it? Please do get in touch. Go to easternpromise.org.uk, find contact and click on the link to send me a message. And don't forget to join me next week when I'll be chatting to Clarice Benny of Connect Health Tech about their amazing work bringing together this diverse sector, all from the UK's capital city of life science, Cambridge. Until then, bye for now. To hear other episodes of the Eastern Promise podcast and to find out more about what we do, go to our website at easternpromise.org.uk. Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production in association with Mills and Reeve. Achieving more together.